So the fish and ships are finished. We're, we're only halfway through the story of Jonah, but the fish and ships are finished. You might have guessed that I, I, I called this series Fish and Ships because of how it sounds. Um, you know, not, not a particularly mature reason. But there's, there's more to the story than just the fish and the ships, or the ship. Um, and Jonah's famous for the fish and, and the ships, the fish in particular. But over the last few weeks, the theme that's been coming up again and again is that God's bigger than we think. That as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or conceive or imagine. His mercy is mysterious. His love reaches further and goes down deeper than we might expect. So deep to the belly of a fish in the bottom of the ocean. His power and authority are tremendous. His common grace, his heart for all humans and the common good is sometimes surprising, particularly when you consider who some people are. The way he works is unexpected and he's bigger than we think. Sometimes our conception of God can be like we're living in a a fishbowl. There we go, fish comes back to bite. But I think what we really need is a fisheye lens to see, to see God, or potentially even more than a fisheye lens, possibly a, a panoramic God's eye lens to see who God is and how he works. The extent of God's character and his mercy and his love is so great that we need big eyes to see, that we need a big heart to comprehend. I remember, I don't know if you remember when the, the panorama mode on the iPhone came out and it was just like, ooh, yeah, like 360 mode. I don't know if they've still got that on Facebook or whatever, but oh, I'd be like at the MCG, like panoramaing the whole thing. I mean, God's so big. We can't capture him just in one image. We can't box him in just in one mind or one even language or culture or church. The way he works, the way he is, is bigger than we think. And we can't muster up a lens to see God like that. We have to receive it from his spirit. And, and this, this theme comes up again today, that God is bigger than we think. He does a lot with a little. Our worldview so often is that we have to have much if we want to do much. That we need all the resources, all the time, all the money, maybe all the education or the training or the privilege or whatever else it is to see great things happen. But God works on a different wavelength to that. It's a key kingdom principle that God does a lot with a little. It's built into creation. I hope by now we've all worked out how babies are made. Um, don't put your hand up if you, you haven't. But if you think about how babies are made, God does a lot with a little. It's one moment as a lifetime. The most complex creatures in the universe, humans, and all that we are out of, out of a little. The most magical thing in the universe comes out of one moment. You know, If you look at the story of God, he, he created the, the whole world with one word or with a word. Think of that famous story, David and Goliath. Israel defeated the Philistines through a boy's small stone and sling. 
we think of Christmas, the Word became flesh through the obedience of a humble young woman we know as Mary. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, tiny little mustard seed, and out of it will will spring extravagant plants. Jesus took five loaves and two fish. You can't get away from fish. Even Jesus wants, wants to keep talking about fish. He took five loaves and two fish. He gave thanks and and fed multitudes, over 5,000 people, probably closer to 10. God does a lot with a little. I don't know if you know the stories of like the world missions movements, but the world missions movement sprung out of like a group of uni students praying together. A lot of the great revivals and renewals in, in history sprung out of often old women praying in the morning together. Sometimes men, but it's actually often women praying, praying, and out of it sprung life, sprung revival. God moved in, in incredible ways. Jonah preaches a, a sermon here that's, that in Hebrew is five words. Imagine if I preached a five-word sermon. Imagine that. You'd be like, this is a good Sunday. But I'm too, too, too verbose for that, um, so apologies. But Jonah says, he says, Nineveh, you're stuffed. And God transforms the city just out of that. In English, it's a few more than five words, but he simply says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed God. Just out of that, God does a lot with a little. So if we look at the story, in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And it's interesting because Jonah did not deserve to be in this situation, but God gave him a second chance. He said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Similar message to what happened in chapter 1. But remember, a Hebrew prophet going into the city of Nineveh would be like a, a Jewish prophet going into Berlin in the 1930s and saying, repent. But Jonah obeys. He goes to the large city of Nineveh. It it says that the city was so large it took three days' walk to go through it. I haven't been um, timing my walking pace lately, but that's a three-day walk. I think I could get through the Melbourne CBD uh, in in quicker than three days myself. Um, But but one day's walk inside, he's, he's a third of the way through, He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Simple, simple message. No message of repentance. Doesn't offer them forgiveness. Doesn't tell them about God's character, who he is and why he's good and why you should repent. He simply proclaims judgment and then gets out of it. I think the modern term is skirt. (laughs) Maybe not. I don't know. I feel like Scrooge works there, but he, he just, he's, got to, he's, got to, he's got to get out of there. He's proclaimed judgment and he's got to get on his, his longboard, except that he's a day's walk into the middle of the city. So it's going to take him a couple of days. But what's amazing is the, the, the people of Nineveh, they don't laugh at him, they don't bash him. They believe God. Out of that. The people of Nineveh, this cruel and wicked city, believe God. They, put, they, they fast, they put on sackcloth and, and they repent. The king of the city um, proclaims through the city, he says, 
Let us fast. Let us repent. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let's give up our evil ways and violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now, it doesn't say we don't know if they become followers of of Yahweh God. It seems unlikely um, when you compare the pagan sailors who seem to to actually devote their lives to, to Yahweh. That doesn't happen here. But they do repent of their evil. They recognize that they're, they're wicked and they turn the other way and stop. And when God saw that they stopped, when God saw that they changed, that they turned from their evil ways, he, did, he relented and did not bring on them the judgment that, he, that was, was planned and threatened. It seems God loves this city so much that he'll do whatever it takes to make sure that evil does not prosper and that justice reigns, not Justin, and violence is rejected. See, God hates evil because God loves people. God hates inequality because God loves people. God hates injustice, he hates violence, he hates racism and xenophobia and sexism and God hates evil because God loves people. In the next chapter, we're going to see that God loves Nineveh because it's filled with people. There's 120 odd thousand people in the city, and for that reason, God is concerned about the evil that goes on in the city. God's judgment, God's wrath, is not for some arbitrary reason. I mean, God can do what He wants. He is God, but the reason he hates sin, the reason he wants to destroy evil is because he's made all his people, he's made them to flourish and to live well within his grand design. To Australian ears, God's judgment often sounds harsh. I don't know if you've heard that or you've felt that yourself, that God's judgment sounds a bit harsh, but, but I reckon that's because we haven't been exposed to like evil, evil. It's a privilege we have here that we, most of us, haven't seen people in our family murdered or raped. Some of us might have, but, but at large, in Australia, we haven't been exposed to the sort of evil that goes on in our world, um, like face-to-face often. People who have been victims of oppressive regimes, of genocides, of abuse and violence, to them, God's Judgment on evil is like a beautiful balm. It's it's good news. It's like, whoa, I never thought justice could be served. I never thought evil could be defeated. That the God of the heavens, the God who made the earth and the stars and the seas would not stand for evil and would want to wipe it out. That is good news. And that's why God planned to judge Nineveh. He said, in 40 days, you guys are toast. Yet, God relents when the people repent because he's full of compassion and mercy. God does a lot with a little. I just want to consider some of the... um, some of the examples of how God does a lot with a little in this story and what that might mean for us today. So first of all, God uses one little unfaithful man to transform the city. Jonah is unreliable as a prophet. He's a, he, he runs away. He's unfaithful. Um, 
He's not a great, great prophet anymore from, from what we've gathered from the story. And yet God gives him a second chance, uses this unreliable, unfaithful prophet to transform a city. The whole city experiences, um, we imagine, social renewal, that, that the evil is, is turned from, they sh- there's then therefore a shift towards social justice, all through this one guy. God uses uh, a little unfaithful man to transform a city. He also uses a little puny, tiny sermon to transform the city. Five words and hard hearts turn to repentance. You would not have thought that that the people of Nineveh would take any message from a, a Hebrew prophet seriously. Jonah doesn't do any convincing. He doesn't appeal to any sources. He doesn't sort of. He doesn't turn on the comedy. He doesn't do like a carpool karaoke and get them on side. He doesn't start, you know, a big hip hop career and then say Jesus is king. He just, he just says five words. It's, this has to be the work of God. And the response is is immediate. The response is vast. It's fast and wide. The whole city. It says even the animals, which is something we've got to wrap our heads around. Even the animals were like fasting and covered in sackcloth. Imagine the dogs barking if you declared a fast on the dogs. But, um, you know, maybe they'd come after me. (laughs) That's what I'm so scared about. But God uses uh, a man to transform a city. He uses this tiny sermon to transform a city. He uses this strange, intense message of judgment to spark social renewal. Now, usually we think that the way you spark social renewal, the way you spark social justice is to call... um, call to action, call to positive action. Gather people together and say, let's work towards good for the city. But God's method here is is a message of of judgment, saying you guys are toast. And out of that, uh, a human rights, freedom, justice movement comes. The Ninevites, they recognize their need, they they see their evil, and, and they're transformed. It's really interesting that because often we think that, that judgment and mercy or, or judgment and love are separate, but they're actually both two wings of the same plane. And finally, God takes people's repentance and out of that brings renewal. God takes the repentance of the people of Nineveh and, and does something in the city. God's will is so much bigger than our will. His purpose is infinitely more powerful than our purpose. And yet he responds to repentance, diverting his plan because his mercy is so great. So often great moves of God spring out of repentance. In, in, nine, in 1907 in Pyongyang, a revival broke out because the Christians of Korea were aware of their sin in an acute way and they said they said god we are we're sinful we've we've been really racist against our japanese neighbors we've hated them and and they started reconciling and repenting for their sin and out of that a revival came and a move of the spirit and pyongyang is actually a, a really incredible um, sort of like christian city for, for some years before that was um, stamped out and, and we pray that, that God would do a great work there once again.
But God takes, God takes second chance, unreliable, unfaithful people and does a lot with that. God takes puny, seemingly insignificant words and does a lot with that little. God takes uh, a message of judgment, something our culture says sounds oppressive, and he uses that to set free. God takes repentance of individuals and communities to renew. He does a lot with a little. Cities are transformed, cultures are renewed, justice flows. Notice in the story, though, that, that the success of the mission is not for the fame of one person. It's not for the fame of Jonah or for the king of Nineveh or anyone else. It's for the good of the people. That this, this change is going to be for the good of the people of the city. That God has a heart for the city. His common grace is why he desires to do a lot with a little. You'll notice in life that God rarely seeks to do a lot with a little when that lot is like someone's personal success and glory. Sometimes it happens, but, but on the most part, it's, God doesn't usually want to take your small prayers to make you famous. He often doesn't want to take the little boy's loaves and fish so the little boy gets the glory. He takes our small deeds. He takes our prayers. He takes a little to do a lot for the good of, of the people, to serve his world. And so to finish, I just want to consider what are some ways that we can allow this reality to shape our lives, that God does a lot with a little. And I want to start here. I think it starts here at Embrace. You look around, we're sort of small, but God does a lot with a little. So do not despise the day of small things. But get on your knees and trust and pray that God might do what he's always done and that is do great things through small people or through small groups. Maybe that little is your first five minutes in the morning. It's your first move in the morning. It's reaching for the phone. What if that little window of time between when you have to be in the car and when you're awake, what if God wants to do a lot with that and you just start your your first five minutes of the day just on your knees with God. I want, to, I want to point out a specific ministry of this church that's even smaller than, than Embrace. MCBC Sunday School. There's one kid at MCBC Sunday School at, at the moment. Sometimes there's two. Today, there was three. <laughs> Amazing. But honestly... God does a lot with a little. To PJ, to Winnie, to Alison who's not here, well done. And to anyone else who wants to get involved, we were just in a deacon's meeting and we said, what are we going to do with Sunday school? We said, well, Jesus says, you know, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. So we're going to keep investing in Sunday school, even if there's only one kid there. Because God does a lot with a little. In our, in our world, the systems of success, the metrics of success say that if you're small, you can't do something significant. That with, if you've got a little, you'll only do a little. That bigger is better. But God's the one who moves mountains. God's the one who, who takes mustard seeds and, and lets them spring into plants. God wants to do a lot with a little here 
and also through you. And so I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes now because I think that, that you often feel small. As an individual, you feel like maybe you won't have a heap of influence for the kingdom of God, that maybe you're not called to something big. But the future of this city is, is in this room. Designers, dentists, engineers, obstetricians, ultrasound operators, writers, painters. Do what you do well. Do what you do seeking the renewal and flourishing of the city. One of the reasons I I love Embrace and one of the reasons I came to Embrace is because I love ABCs and I, I honestly think though you might feel small, ABCs are the future of our city. That's Asian, that's Australian born Chinese for those who, who don't know the acronym. But God loves cities and he wants to do something in this city through you. So trust the process. Do small faithful deeds, pray big bold prayers. May his kingdom come and will be done on earth as in heaven. Let's stand up.